This is Africa Digest. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from the African perspective. We are broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa, and you can find us on 9625 kilohertz. That is on the 31 Nota Band if you're in Southern Africa. My name is Spumela Lezondi. I'm with Onel Nzinti, Amanda Machaga, and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. Ethiopia releases 528 political prisoners who were detained in different parts of the country. The Japanese government cuts aid it renders to Malawi. In economics, Kenya Airways expects to make history when it launches a non-stop 15-hour flight from Nairobi to New York. And in sports, top seats continue to fall at the Australian Open. On News. Thank you, Spoo. Zimbabwe will hold elections in four to five months, pointing to an earlier date than expected. President Emerson Nangagwa made the announcement following the ousting of long-time ruler Robert Mugabe. Nangagwa took office in November after a short military takeover ended Mugabe's 37-year reign. 75-year-old Nangagwa has vowed to hold fair elections to ensure that Zimbabwe engages the world as a qualified democratic state. Under Mugabe, who had ruled since 1980, Zimbabwean elections were marred by voting rigging, intimidation and violent suppression of the opposition. The election had been expected in late July or in August. Britain and France have agreed to provide mutual logistical support to their forces in Mali and Estonia ahead of a summit at a military academy outside London. In his first official visit to Britain since taking office in May last year, French President Emmanuel Macron will tell the British Prime Minister Theresa May that maintaining military cooperation will be a priority after Britain leaves the European Union. At the summit, the pair is also expected to discuss their joint crackdown on online extremism. The BBC's Hugh Scofield has more. Britain's big card will be that it is, it is the other great nation state with outreach, with influence around the world, with the military capacity to act in the world. And France, being the other country in Europe like that, recognises that. President Macron is very European-minded, as we know. He wants to build up a European defence entity, and that is happening, and he'll push for that. But I think he also knows that for serious foreign missions and for serious influence building campaigning across the world the ally that counts is the uk Kenya's government spokesman Eric Kiraite says recent remarks on African and Haitian immigrants will, did not directly touch on Kenya and will therefore not affect relations between Kenya and the U.S. Kenyans have voted U.S. President Donald Trump following reports that he described Africa, African countries as a derogatory manner in a direct, derogatory manner rather last week. Kiraite explains the government's stand. We, we are studying the context in which this was said to see whether it is worth the attention the media has been able to give it. Otherwise, it was not an official matter directly related to our relationship with the American government. Ethiopia has released 528 prisoners who are detained in different parts of the country. The cases were dropped in a move that the government expected will be the beginning of a better relationship with its citizens. Koleta Wanjohi has more. Early January this year, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Haile Mariam Desalen, announced that the government would begin releasing prisoners whose cases were considered fit for pardon. This would include those who were arrested in connection to political reasons. The first batch of 528 was released on Wednesday, among them a leader of an opposition party, Dr. Merere Gudina. 
And lastly, 1.6 billion US dollars is urgently needed to save and protect 54 million lives from an unprecedented drought in Somalia. While the East African nation voted famine last year, with the international community's help, the United Nations Office OCHA warns that long-term solutions for drought and displacement must still be found. OCHA launched the 2018 Humanitarian Response Plan for Somalia, which is an extension of last year's famine prevention effort. Humanitarian coordinators for Somalia, Peter Declerc. The total number in need of humanitarian assistance is 6.2 million, and that's about 50% of the population. So it's very, very serious. Malnourished children, uh, we're talking about 400,000 uh, malnourished children in the country. The total number of people in crisis is 2.3 million. So these are enormous numbers. And as a result of the drought and the lack of food and resources, many people have moved towards the cities in, in, in search of some, some basic uh, existence. So we, we've seen 2.1 million people so far being displaced. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Sinsi. All right, thank you very much, Onele. Let's start in Ethiopia, which has released 528 political prisoners who were detained in different parts of the country. Their cases were dropped in a move that the government expects will be the beginning of a better relationship with its citizens. Here's Koleto Andre. Early January this year, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Haile Mariam Desalen, announced that the government would begin releasing prisoners whose cases were considered fit for pardon. This would include those who were arrested in connection to political reasons. The first batch of 528 was released on Wednesday. Among them, a leader of an opposition party, Dr. Merere Gudina. Gudina says his arrest was uncalled for. All along I was telling them that it is not helpful to them to, uh, to detain me. All along. I know uh, that our party, myself, remained legal. And we were operating within a legal framework. All along. We participated in all four major elections in this country. He has been in detention since 2016. Merere Gudina was arrested after he returned home after addressing the European Parliament on political situation in Ethiopia. For 413 days, he was held in a prison in the capital city, Addis Ababa. He says he will continue advocating for change in the government. With our party and the members, we will decide in the next days and the weeks what to do and what not to do especially how to deal with a government call for national dialogue. If it is real and honest, we are for it. And also we expect that the rest of our members who are remained in prison will be out soon. Since 2015, there have been thousands of arrests made especially on people who protested against the current government. Now the government hopes that with gradual release of many more prisoners, it will ease the tension that has been growing following the protests. But citizens like Gebru Gebremariam say that government needs to work more on creating trusted cohesion with its citizens. We have been uh, time and again asking this government to try to create national consensus. So the way to create such uh, national consensus is one of the steps that should be taken by government is creating trust, creating confidence building in the public. And I think this is one of the signs that one can think of. Others like Turune Gamta say that the government should show more commitment to its citizens by releasing the others who are still in confinement because of political reasons. I advise our government to go back to their concerns and think about the release of all political prisoners regardless of any nationality as Ethiopians. Regardless of not only Oromia, but in Amara, in Tigray, in Somali, in Benishangul, in Gambela. So we demand still the government to come back to their mind and release all political prisoners, regardless of any difference. The Attorney General of Ethiopia, Getachu Ambaye, has promised that there will soon be another phase of prisoners release, especially those seeking amnesty. For Channel Africa Radio, I'm Koleto Anjohi in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Right, for reaction on that, we are now joined on the line by um, Amnesty International's Merera Gudina. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa. 
Hi, just to correct you there, this is Nesanet Belai, Africa Director of Health. Oh, is it Nesanet Belai? Correct. All right, Nesanet, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, thank you. All right. Um, What's Amnesty International's reaction to this? Well, our reaction is that this definitely is a welcome step and long overdue and welcome step. Uh, Most of the people released yesterday uh, constitute what we call prisoners of conscience, people who've been arrested solely for expressing their opinions and for exercising their right to freedom of speech. Uh, And this has been a consistent challenge, a consistent problem in Ethiopia that we observed over the years. So there's no doubt that it's a welcome step. However, we do believe that there are still hundreds of prisoners of conscience in Ethiopia who are convicted uh, on various charges or those who are still awaiting trial. So much more is needed to ensure that uh, those who are detained and languishing in jail for simply exercising their views are released without any delay and without any conditions. Mm. Uh, and what are prisoners of conscience as you choose to refer to them? Yeah, so we define prisoners of conscience essentially as people who've been persecuted solely for expressing their views. Uh, people who have not been promoting violence, uh, but who have been exercising the right to freedom of expression. So this constitutes uh, human rights defenders, journalists, political leaders, and others uh, who have exercised those rights, but who have been um, attacked by governments through, uh, through, through prosecutions or other means. Um, and this has become common in, in Ethiopia. There have been bloggers who have been arrested, there have been journalists who have been arrested, and there have been opposition leaders who have been arrested. Correct. I mean, that has been one of our consistent outcries on Ethiopia. Thousands and hundreds have been um, arrested, prosecuted with, uh, by exercising such broad, vague, uh, draconian legislations like the Anti-Terrorism Proclamation, um, and have been subjected to prison terms, and most are still awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. And you yourself have previously spent more than two years in prison in Ethiopia. Can you tell us about those conditions? Uh, well, the conditions, the Ethiopian prison conditions, understandably, are, are quite poor. Uh, it's extremely congested, uh, overcrowding, uh, and, and unsanitary conditions, and etc. So there's, as a, obviously uh, no prison is good, but, but, uh, but definitely the prison conditions in Ethiopia, at least at the time when I was in detention, were extremely overcrowded, unsanitary, and quite challenging. Uh, were you ever told what you'd been arrested for? Yes, I've been on trial for two, and a, for two years and two months. All right. Uh, please tell us about that. Well, it's related to the 2005 uh, post-election crisis in Ethiopia where uh, hundreds of people have been arrested and prosecuted with different charges. So I constitute one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, yeah, the drug run, trial drug run for over two years and were finally convicted with with, uh, with various crimes that later on released um, after two years and a half through, through the pardon proclamation. Mm. Um, and uh, you've told us about the overcrowding and you say the prison conditions are not great, but what's the treatment like once you're behind bars, especially if you've been arrested for what um, they see as political reasons? Well, it's, it's, it's a rather long story and probably some of the details I cannot, um, I'm not in a position to get into at the moment, but mm-hmm. it's safe to say that uh, not just from direct experience, but from consistent reports we've been documenting, there are various forms of ill treatment happening in prisons in Ethiopia, um, and, and including uh, acts that amount to torture, which have been documented in several reports that Amnesty International have released. And 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 beyond that, and the main problem has always been that uh, people have been wrongly detained and imprisoned, and, and solely for exercising their freedom of expression. That is what needs to be rectified today in Ethiopia. And it should go beyond just the mere release of such prisoners of conscience. The government needs to move ahead in ensuring and guaranteeing non-repetition of such wrongful detention, such as by repealing or amending those draconian laws, such as the anti-terrorism proclamation, which have been instrumentalized for prosecution, persecution of uh, dissent in Ethiopia.
Um, and Netsana, do you think there's enough understanding um, by the international community about what's happening inside Ethiopia, especially when it comes to people being um, imprisoned for their views? I do believe so. I mean, I think uh, there's been sufficient outcry from various uh, international human rights bodies who have successively documented and made recommendations to the government of Ethiopia to improve on its human rights record. Um, and, and, and that has been a standing and consistent message from the international community. And of course, um, the many countries who have chosen to turn a blind eye to ongoing atrocities, um, uh, but but, uh, but the, the outcry on, on human rights situation in Ethiopia has been quite loud and, and sufficiently documented. Uh, um, and do you think that with um, this release and the announcement that more prisoners will be released, um, do you think that um, it's going to stop now, these arbitrary arrests? Well, we certainly do hope so. We certainly do hope that this marks a new beginning, a new chapter in Ethiopia. Uh, we do believe more needs to be done. As I've said, uh, the government, as it has um, hinted in various uh, announcements, needs to move ahead in, 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 in addressing uh, structural issues um, and these legislative barriers and etc. That, that curtail the exercise of uh, um, fundamental rights and freedoms in Ethiopia. So all of these issues need to be addressed, but it certainly signals and we hope that it signals the beginning of uh, a positive reform in the country. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. All right, so that's Netanet Belay, who is Amnesty International's Research and Advocacy Director for Africa. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa, and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge, and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The Japanese government has cut aid it renders to Malawi forthwith. Malawi authorities have since pleaded with Tokyo to reverse the idea, saying instead more financial assistance should be channeled towards economic and social development programs. George Mohango reports. Malawi's request comes amid Japan's dwindling financial assistance to Malawi through the said window over the years since 1908 when the country started benefiting from the grants. According to Minister of Finance Guru Gondwe, the gesture is a blow to Malawi. The Japanese used to give us much more money for this purpose than they are giving us this time. As a matter of fact, I think they have shaved off something like a third of what they used to give us. And the reason is that uh, uh, we have not had, had the success of as many people as possible repaying the loans. And uh, therefore, uh, Japanese are rather disappointed uh, with us. I think uh, the reduced amount is an expression of that disappointment. That's why I said we will take particular care now that uh, there will be special people, special civil servants in the Ministry of Finance that will look after uh, these resources uh, from uh, lending uh, the resources up to recovery of repayments same people would, would handle that. And I hope very much that uh, 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 this will be done properly this time. Yanagisawa is an official from the Japanese government. That's not their, you know, their specifically their plan to decrease because we agree on the amount uh, they, uh, in, in, in different way and it's, uh, it's uh, according to the needs of the government. 
So, so next time the mama may increase or decrease. So it's not not kind of the trend. So it's only for this specific specific grant. It is I decided at 200 million, but Japanese yen. But next time we don't know whether it will increase or decrease. Such Japanese financial sources have been utilized to assist a wide range of small and medium enterprises to acquire through loans various operating or capital goods, plant or equipment purchased from abroad. This is a major setback for Malawi because a number of countries have since 2013 suspended aid due to the public plunder of donor funds during the reign of Joyce Banda. Some of these countries include Germany, Norway, USA and Britain. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spomelele Zondi. Now, the Japanese Reef Farmers Day held in Nelspruit recently has highlighted worrisome trends in the tobacco industry. The event was hosted by the Limbobo Tobacco Processors, LTP, in partnership with South African Tobacco Agroprocessors in South Africa. One of the key revelations from the gathering include the illicit trade of tobacco products which is said to be destroying the legal tobacco value chain, putting jobs and the livelihoods of emerging and commercial farmers at risk. As a result, a campaign against this has been launched with a tobacco company, British American Tobacco. Alright, if you want to find out more, we now joined on the line by Managing Director at the Limbobo Tobacco Processors, Christoph van Staden. We will catch up with Christoph van Staden as time goes by as we are trying to get him on the line. We did have him on the line just a minute ago, but do stay with us. We'll try to get him back on the line. Let's go to Ghana now, where there are a lot of myths and taboos surrounding menstruation. In some parts of Africa, menstruating women and girls are discriminated against because they are often considered unclean and impure. Here. That's the exact situation some schoolgirls in Ghana find themselves in. The BBC's Thomas Nadi reports from Ghana. Twelve-year-old Mary is a student in a primary school in Ghana's central region. Of the obstacles she faces in getting a quality education, this may be one of the biggest. That's the river offering. Mary has to cross this during her hour-long walk to school every day. Some days, this is impossible, not because of the flooding of the river, but because of certain traditional beliefs. I'm in a small canoe with about eight school children between the ages of 4 to 15, wearing their beautiful yellow uniform. Four of them are girls. It takes about three minutes to cross the river during this season of the year because the water level is quite low and about 10 minutes when it overflows its banks during the rainy season. The water is brown in color because of heavy pollution from activities of illegal mining. But menstruating girls are forbidden to cross this river and women are not also allowed to cross it on Tuesdays. That's according to the dictates of the river gods. Mary tells me it's affecting their education. I want to become a doctor in future. 
but sometimes I miss my classes because uh, women cannot cross the river on Tuesdays. And if girls menstruate, we cannot cross the river because it is forbidden. And if the water overflows, it is dangerous to cross it and it affects my education. Despite this, community leaders such as Nana Ejekum Ntiamua II believes the tradition cannot be changed. The consequences of a woman crossing the river with a menstrual cycle, in spiritually, uh, something will happen. When you, you cross the river with a canoe, so when you are crossing the river with a canoe and you, uh, there's a woman who has menstruated in that canoe, the canoe will capsize. That was the belief. And that has put a fear on the whole community, that, and it was happening. Not good enough, says the UNICEF and Ghana Education Service Menstrual Hygiene Ambassador, Shamima Muslim. When culture begins to impede the progress of girls and violates women and girls' rights to education and income, then obviously a conversation has to be had uh, because it's been happening for so long and we can't no longer just sit back and do nothing about it. This same revolve thing that we are talking about has already been polluted by activities of illegal miners, popularly called galamse. We have farming activities that use um, chemicals that are dangerous to the ecology and the aquaculture of this particular river. And all of these individuals who have been involved in all of these illegal activities that are desecrating and polluting this river has not been struck down by any god, so far as I know. So explain to me why menstrual blood, female blood, seems to be more dangerous than the activities of all of these illegal operators on this river. I can't understand it. Basic education is free and compulsory in Ghana. But it seems traditional beliefs in some communities are affecting efforts to implement it. Girl-child education in this part of the continent is already struggling. UN estimates that one in ten girls in sub-Saharan Africa miss school during their menstrual cycle, while others drop out completely. Girls from communities here miss about 30% of classes in a school year because of menstruation. Francis Texan her teacher of one of the schools in the area, is concerned about it. The problem that we are facing as teachers here is that sometimes when it comes to exams, we need to postpone the exams to the next day so that these children can come and write the exams. During Tuesdays too, because they don't cross the river, we have the teachers have some time to repeat the lesson a little before they move on to. It sometimes sets back the academic uh, businesses that we have in the school. Sometimes at the end of the term, you find it very difficult to um, complete the syllabus. The problem is so acute that Ghana's Deputy Minister of Education Dr. Osei Educhim says they are sending a team to assess the situation. The chief of the town and his elders are appealing for support to build a bridge across the river to solve the problem. This may take some time to construct. Until measures are taken to address it, women and girls like Mary will continue to suffer because of the custom. The report was compiled by the BBC's Thomas Nadi. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Qui 
Kia Makande Embalelo Kina Miriam está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul Zochitika Mu África Informing the world about Africa Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective Yes, Olen, and since with your headlines. Zimbabwe to hold elections in four to five months, pointing to an earlier date than expected. Britain and France agreed to provide mutual logistical support to their forces in Mali and Estonia ahead of a summit at a military academy outside London. And Kenya's government says recent remarks on African and Haitian immigrants did not directly touch on Kenya and will therefore not affect relations between Kenya and the U.S. Channel African News, I am on Nelensinzi. Thank you very much, Onele. Now, this week marks the first anniversary of Donald Trump's inauguration as U.S. President. And what an eventful 12 months it's been, with repeated controversies about President's words and actions. The BBC's North America editor, John Sopel, sent this report. To some, it might sound like a warning alarm. To Donald Trump, this clanging is music. For all the noise and scandal since Donald Trump came to office, the Dow Jones is up roughly 30%. Every day seems to bring another eye-watering high. And if you're an investor, if your pension is in the stock market, you're going to forgive an awful lot from this president. But what goes up must come down, no? Matt Cheslock from Virtue Financial Capital Markets. Are you worried there is a bubble? I'm not worried that there's a bubble per se. Is there a correction that could happen? Certainly, but there's certainly enough money out there that could, uh, you know, fill and backstop any kind of correction lower. They say that success has many parents and that failure is an orphan. Well, on the success of the stock exchange, Donald Trump wants to be the only parent. Take that alongside the tax cuts that have been recently introduced, and there's a growing sense of optimism in the U.S. economy. And what politician doesn't like that? But does this sentiment stretch beyond Wall Street in downtown Manhattan? Well, it seems to. We went to Wall Street in a town called Newnan in the southern state of Georgia. In November 2016, it voted overwhelmingly for Trump. And if there's buyer's remorse, it's hard to find. Daniel Lichty owns a building firm in Newnan and says he can't remember a time when business was so good. I'm excited for... 2018 and what coming ahead of us. Uh, the calls are just out there and trying to figure out how to get all this work done is our next stage. So that means it's going to be a strong year. But does this optimism stretch beyond construction? Is it anything to do with Donald Trump? Newnan's an attractive town built around the historic courthouse in the town centre. So what's the verdict of voters? We brought together two Democrats and two Republicans. I feel like there's an electricity in the air with a whole lot of people uh, in our country. I think what he's done is absolutely phenomenal and for our economy it's exceedingly growing. Donald Trump inherited a great economy from Barack Obama. Recent acts like the Tax Cut Act uh, are going to do long-term damage to the economy. But what do they think of his behavior? Particularly it seems on matters of race. After neo-Nazis clashed with anti-racism protesters in Charlottesville, the president equivocated. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. When black American footballers protested, there was this. Get that son of a off the field right now. And then there were the tweet storms. U.S. media described as the enemies of the people. He boasted that his button was bigger than Kim Jong-un's. And, of course, declaring himself a very stable genius. I think he's a buffoon. Why? 
Uh, he doesn't seem to have a full grasp of uh, world politics. He doesn't seem to have a full grasp of how government works. He is our president. He is working for America first, as any president should be doing. And even though he might be saying certain things that I may not like, he's putting America first, and that's what we need in America. Marvin, the Russia investigation. Yes. Do you think uh, that's real? Do you th are you uh, bothered by it? Oh, absolutely it's real. Uh, there just seems to be something there that's not coming out yet. There has been no evidence that I've heard uh, that there is collusion as far as Trump is concerned. The thing that I do like about Trump, what you see is what he is. And he's not putting on a show for the public. What Donald Trump has done brilliantly is keep his base largely supportive. But he needs more than just a core. If he doesn't get the support of reluctant Republicans and independents in November's midterms, then it could all turn very ugly indeed for him, and the Trump agenda could ground to a halt. Also Kenya now, in many African communities, children born out of incest are seen as taboo and outcasts. In Western Kenya, such children are being killed in a discreet manner by some of the community members. Our reporter Diana Wanyonyi visited one of the children rescue centers in Bungoma in Western Kenya and filed this report. I am at Kandui Children's Home, sponsored by the Child Welfare Society of Kenya, an organization that offers refuge to orphans, destitutes and neglected children, and children born from incestors union. Among the children taken care of, there is a four-year-old boy who was rescued in 2014 from angry villagers who wanted to kill him two days after he was born because his mother, who was 15 years old at the time, was impregnated by her 17-year-old uncle. In Luya community, for one such children are regarded as bad omen and to avoid bad luck, such as curses and infertility in the family lineage, it is believed that the baby must be killed. Alice Kimoto, administrator at the Child Welfare Society, elaborates on these cultural practices. Here in Bungoma and also the, the larger Western Kenya, where we have the issue of incest, and the incest is, um, the community take the, the case very seriously, but most of the time the culprits are not uh, deal relatives. Even the clanship, there is an issue of clanship where you, you find maybe a, a boy from one clan cannot have a child from the same clan. If they have a child, that child is considered to be an incest child. The issue of incest is a hidden issue because there is law in Kenya that does not allow any person to be killed. So because of that, there's a, in this community, when they have such a child of incest, they hide and the child is killed mysteriously. But the few cases we get to here, they are for the people who knows about our program of rescuing the children who are born out of incest. So we know the practice goes on under, underground. We don't miss one to two cases per year. Those are the cases that get reported, but we have so many cases that are never reported. It is a life culture that is still going on in the community. She adds that most times their efforts to rescue such children are fruitless as they are killed secretly. These children are always in danger of uh, being killed because uh, the Western culture, they believe that those children are bad men to their community and they bring uh, misfortunes to the people. So once such a child is known, first thing they have to do is to kill. But we thank God, as Child Welfare Society of Kenya, we do community sensitization that uh, such children have a right to live. They have such cases, instead of killing the children, and bearing that burden on themselves, they offer the children for adoption. People not willing to give information about such children is a major challenge facing social workers from the Kandui Children's Home. Martha Kinywa is one of them. We have some problems during the home visits. You get that there are people who doesn't want to say their problems that they face. They keep secrets. They don't bring out the issue that are going on at the crowd. We also face some challenges during the communication barrier. The language, they, you, some of them, they are not enlightened. So you get that when you're going through the cases, it becomes a challenge to you. 
Joseph Karioki from the Kenya Children's Assembly gives insight into the plight of children. Children have their rights, uh, even the constitution, they have their rights, Article 53. What we want the government to do is just to implement them and make sure that they are there. An environment that is friendly for children to survive and develop into adults. We find that parents do not have time with, the, with their children, so they should at least have time with their children and carry them about the things that they are supposed to do, so that at the time they are abused or they are, uh, they are subjected to child labor, they know how to speak out. Karyuki's sentiments has also been echoed by Alice Kimotho of the Kandui Children's Home. We should not be losing children to incest. Those are retrogressive culture practices. That is one culture that have to be done away with because that child who is born out of incest, it's not the will of the child to be born. So I think the society is really failing because they are not uh, training their youth on the issue of having relationship between close relatives. And if it was there, we could not be having the issues of incest. Today, the cases are very lampant because the, the elders have failed to train the youth on the, their culture. But they, they still, they are upholding one culture against the other. That was the administrator of the Kandui Children's Home, sponsored by Child Welfare Society of Kenya, Alice Kimotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi, reporting for Channel Africa. In September last year, the Caribbean was hit by the most powerful Atlantic hurricane in recorded history. Irma's 185-mile-per-hour winds left several countries devastated. In a seminar held recently on sovereign debt and the IMF World Bank annual meetings, Grenada's Prime Minister and Chair of CARICOM, Keith Mitchell, said catastrophe risks insurance could help vulnerable countries mitigate some of the risk from increasingly severe weather patterns. First of all, let me thank the IMF for convening this timely meeting. I also like to express our appreciation for the World Bank's group rapid response to Dominica and to many of the countries. Um, I had the opportunity to visit many of those countries in the last few weeks and, and, uh, and it, it, it affected me psychologically and otherwise. It's worth repeating that Dominica is looking at the damages in the excess of 200%. Basically, this is what happened in the case of, of Grenada. We're basically flattened. You picture waking up after three hours and one afternoon, one morning, afternoon, evening, wherever, and watching your entire country on the ground. Just picture this. And it's picture it's not just the physical destruction everyone is looking towards you for a solution that's the, I'm the prime minister so the psychological impact you yourself will be going through at the time and the average citizen people who are independent throughout their entire lives all of a sudden they depend on someone to even give them food that is the extent that give you the atmosphere. And then you get to the question, you're able to, to satisfy basic needs. The question is reconstruction. Where do you start? Your infrastructure destroyed. Your healthcare system in trouble. Your schools in tr- difficulties. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, it is clear, therefore, the risk insurance issue becomes absolutely crucial and therefore based on our experience in Grenada we had to in fact make it very clear to our colleagues in the region that the need for the catastrophic risk insurance is crucial so we led that exercise in 2015 we had no choice because we had the exact experience of watching that entire situation unfold in front of us and not having the necessary resources to be able to take care of the fundamental needs of the people of our country. And in the case of Grenada, for example, we were the country, the only country destroyed in, in 2004. We are the only country. Today what we have is almost six countries in the region destroyed. So the need for that catastrophic insurance it becomes even more crucial because even friendly governments 
and institutions. They were able to focus on Grenada specifically in 2004. But in 2017, with all these countries, friendly governments now have to, to in fact, share the, the resources and, of course, support among several countries. And the question is, where do you put your emphasis? Which one do you concentrate on? And that becomes a major problem. I'm having to be chairman of CARICOM at this time. And I can tell you, going around to all these countries, I myself was saying, well, where do we start? Which one do we start? All need, you need to start with everyone. And therefore, there is no doubt in my mind, this whole question of sovereign debt, the whole question of risk insurance, the whole question of mobilization of resources, the whole question of how do you treat countries in, this, in, the, in the region and the question of vulnerability as a factor in economic planning and development is absolutely crucial. I don't think time is not on our hands. Time is now. And therefore, I'm very happy to see that we're having this important dialogue here this morning um, because my, my colleagues in the Caribbean region are anxiously awaiting some serious ideas and, of course, support to how we go forward in this crucial time that we are now facing in the region. And I just heard from Keith Mitchell, Prime Minister of Grenada and Chair of the Caribbean Community CARICOM, speaking to Bruce Edwards from the International Monetary Fund. Here's Amanda Machaka with your economics. Thank you, Spumilele. Good evening. South African Reserve Bank Governor Lesija Khanyaho says the repo rate will remain unchanged at 6.75%. He was giving the rates announcement in Pretoria following the bank's first monetary policy committee meeting this year. The prime lending rate, the figure charged by banks to customers, will remain at 10.25%. Khanyaho says the rent has continued to rally following the outcome of the ruling ANC elective conference in December. He says the rent is expected to remain sensitive to political developments in the near term. The rent exchange rate responded strongly to the outcome of the ANC elective conference and since then has traded in a range of between 12 rands 25 and 12 rands 50 against the US dollar. This is a sharp contrast to the recent low of 14 rands 47 a month earlier. Since the previous meeting of the MPC, the rent has appreciated by 13.1% against the US dollar, by 9.6% against the euro. In the near term, the rent is expected to remain sensitive to sentiment generated by political developments. Chief Economist at ETM Analytics George Glynos has expressed disappointment at the announcement of the repo rate remaining unchanged at 6.75%. Prior to today's announcement, several economists anticipated that the Reserve Bank would likely cut interest rates by 25 basis points due to the strong recovery of the rent after the ruling ANC National Elective Conference. Glynos explains. My frustration with this bank, and it's been for some time now, is that I believe there's something not quite right with either the manner in which they're analysing their risks and the manner in which, in fact, they've been analysing inflation because throughout the course of 2017, they've been revising down their expectations for inflation. The second is that I don't believe that they're on top of the RAND calls. I believe that there's a deficiency on that front because they certainly haven't anticipated some of the movements that have happened happened through the course of the past year. It seems like we're almost looking for the problems whenever we, we sit down and, and decide on interest rates. 
South Africa's Companies and Intellectual Property Commission has laid criminal charges against the local units of audit firm KPMG Management Consultants, McKinsey and software giant SAP SE. The cases were opened with the South African Police Service between November and December for contravention of the country's Companies Act. The regulator says South Africa's Companies and Intellectual Property Commission has been looking into these companies since July 2017. It is one of the first local regulators to bring criminal complaints against the companies for their dealings with entities linked to the Gupta family, who are friends of President Jacob Zuma and in business with his son, Duduzani. Zuma and the Guptas have consistently denied any wrongdoing. South Africa's Finance Minister Malusi Kigaba says Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa is capable of selling the country to investors. Kigaba is addressing a breakfast meeting in Centre, north of Johannesburg, ahead of the World Economic Forum in Davos. Ramaphosa will lead a South African delegation to the forum, which will take place from January 23rd to the 26th. Kigaba says Ramaphosa has the ability to stimulate the economy and in turn create the much-needed jobs and alleviate poverty. A lot of people internationally would want to interact with him, to hear you, to hear your plans for the future, and to get a reassurance that South Africa is open for business. Topmost on the agenda of this country is the creation of jobs, the growing of our economy, and for the country to demonstrate how it intends to seize on the opportunities which are presented by the positive economic outlook globally so that our own economy grows faster and bigger as well as inclusive. And Japan has cut aid in its renders to Malawi. Malawi has since pleaded with Tokyo to to reverse the idea, saying instead more financial assistance should be channeled towards Malawi's economic and social development program. Japanese financial resources have been utilized to assist a wide range of small and medium enterprises to acquire through loans various operating or capital goods, plant or equipment purchased from abroad. Malawi's Minister of Finance, Gudal Kondwe, says uh, the move is a blow to the country. The Japanese used to give us much more money for this purpose than they are giving us this time. As a matter of fact, I think they have shaved off something like a third of what they used to give us. And the reason is that we have not had the success of as many people as possible repaying the loans. And uh, therefore, uh, the Japanese are uh, rather disappointed uh, with us. I think uh, the reduced amount is an expression of that disappointment. That's why I said we will take particular care now that uh, there will be special people, special civil servants in the Ministry of Finance that will look after uh, these resources. No financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 12.27 to the South African rent, at 9.59 to the Botswana Pula, and 9.69 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's at 72 pence to the British pound and 81 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,328 and platinum at $998 per ounce, while the price of Brent crude oil is at $69.30 a barrel. That's the latest business news. Thanks, Amanda. It's now time for Sports News. Here's Masibodi. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with cricket news, A.B. de Villiers has commended his side-spirited collective effort following their 135-run victory over India in the second Sunfall Freedom Trophy Test match in Centurion. Now, de Villiers marked his return to Test cricket after a lengthy break with monumental all-round contributions to propel the hosts towards a 2-0 unassailable lead in the three-test match series. Now, the 33-year-old says he's enjoying his return to the Test arena and is looking forward to the third and the final test at the Bedford's Wanderers in Johannesburg starting on the 24th of January. 
Test cricket is the ultimate challenge and it was very enjoyable to have been a part of a really good series win. I think it was a great team effort from everyone, right from the fielding to the bowlers to really big pressure moments with the batting end, which is all around had a really good team performance. And um, I'm obviously enjoying my cricket. I really love being out there with the boys. It's been a great couple of test matches. Quite a few guys contributed. Faf also got a 50. Dean Elgar played a really good hand. Um, quite a few guys played big hands. Virat's innings in the first dig was really, really good. I did congratulate him. I'm looking forward to the one hopefully more bounce and pace um, compared to the Centurion wicket but yeah I was just all out a, a really good test match and I think we adapted really well to the conditions and did what we needed to do well, the rare opportunity of completing a 3-0 clean sweep over the world-ranked uh, number one test side um, in the world in India. De Villiers says achieving the feat will be a great accomplishment for the Proteas. However, he adds that they know it will not be an easy task as India will be looking for a good finish to the series and some momentum to take going into the upcoming ODI series. It'll be great. I mean, India has really impressed us, um, impressed me a lot and surprised us, especially from a bowling department. Um, they've showed a lot more skill and there's definitely a bit more pace than what we expected. Um, so we, we know we're going to have to be watchful in that, in that last test match. They'll come out fighting, wanting to finish well in the test series and to take that confidence into the ODIs. But obviously we would love to, to beat them 3-0. But you're never guaranteed of a result. Uh, we know we're going to have to really dig deep again, make sure, like in the last two test matches, that we adapt to the conditions and, and find a way to play our best type of cricket on the specific conditions. South Africa has risen three places in the latest FIFA World Rankings released earlier today, up to number 78 in the world and number 17 on the African continent. It is still well below the stated aim of the South African Football Association, whose mission is to see the side regularly in the top um, 20 in the world, as well as a top three on the continent. Now, despite not kicking a ball, South Africa made the move as the rankings are calculated over the previous four years, with each year given a different weighing, starting with the highest for the most. Most, um, um, for the most recent rather. Now Tunisia have moved into the top spot on the continent followed by Senegal, Egypt, Morocco as well as the DR Congo in the top five. There is no movement in the top five of the global list as Germany keeps the top position followed by Brazil, Portugal, Argentina as well as Belgium. And finally in tennis news, Roger Federer fought off the challenge of Jean Leonard Struff to move into the third round of the Australian Open. The defending champion benefited from playing in a relatively cool of the evening, winning the tie 6-4, 6-4 and 7-6. Well, there's maybe 60 guys asking for stuff, so I'm one of those guys, yes. Do you think you have more leverage than some? Possibly, but <laughs> it's not my call. It's their call. And while Federer will hope to continue his streak of playing in the evening, the 36-year-old believes he could have dealt with the heat if he had to. I wouldn't have my mind to play during the day. I, I hope I thrive under those conditions too, because uh, if you want to get to the top, you've got to be able to play in all conditions. But sure, it's helpful to play now uh, rather than during the day. Those are sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Right, let's look at part of stories. Ethiopia releases 528 political prisoners who are detained in different parts of the country. The Japanese government cuts aid it renders to Malawi. And that wraps up Africa Digest. For myself, Spumela Lezoni producer Luanda Maome, technical producer. Adrian, Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. You can find us on infochannelafrica.co.za and email infochannelafrica.co.za and email. You can also SMS us plus 278233259055. You can also tweet us. We are on Channel Africa One. Bye bye. When a good girl gone bad, what you gonna do? Run, go meet a dad. You know what I do. When this is out his hole, but the ranking won't best, y'all. Watch this. Love confession. She's a heartbreaker. 
she bend over back breaker, steaming hot water vapor. I wanna take her. She's a heartbreaker. She bend over back breaker, steaming hot water vapor. I wanna take her. So tell me why you do me so. So tell me why you do me so. Call you me honey, but you threw me on trash And you think say me gon' leave you like that No way Why you do me like that, yeah Girl, I'm waiting on you Even if they're waiting on you But me never send them go In my life, I never seen Melanin so dark You're a queen of the dance floor Night for your life when I rub it in, baby Would you put me in your diary? In my life I never seen melanin so that you're a queen of the dance floor. Nice socialite, when I rub it in, baby. Would you put me in your diary? She's a hot 